We have to find a way to talk and have dialogue and be tolerant between other views. You have to have open dialogue, and that's where free speech is so important. Consent's a very important thing, and today in the Me Too movement, it's been very important because I think it's really opened up a lot of eyes. Cannabis is a healing herb. We as the people, we need to stand up and make a move. If you committed sexual assault, it doesn't matter when it was, you should be held accountable for that. However, we have to make sure that we actually make sure they committed sexual assault, and we have to make sure that all allegations are verified. So put in these programs thinking that it'll help everyone, but what they forget is that the pathway to hell is paved with good intention. And I think that's what this whole movement is all about anyways, is uh, trying to be open to ideas. Welcome to Liberty Talks Podcast with John Douglas, and today interviewing a very special guest, the founder of Lone Conservative, contributor to Daily Wire, and the winner of the Reagan Award at CPAC, Cassie Dillon. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. So today what we're going to be talking about is the leftism and the socialism that's rising on the Democratic Party, Generation Z, and how they're falling into it, and how as conservatives we can combat that. So Cassie, uh, if you remember, I sent you a Pew Research uh, study from January, so it was, it was a while back, but it basically showed that the Gen Z generation has some pretty left-wing views. They think that race is becoming a very important thing, that people of color, such as black people or Hispanics, are generally kind of discriminated against in the U.S. and that we need to do something to help them, do some more affirmative action. I was wondering, why do you think that is? Why, why do you think Gen Z is um, coming out like that? Well, that study actually surprised me because the past studies have really said that Gen Z is going to be more conservative. But what I think it might be is what conservatism is, is kind of changing. So a lot of these left-wing outlets or, or, I mean, Pew Research isn't left-wing. They're the most centrist you're going to get. But when they're interviewing people, they're looking at things that might have been more important to conservatives, say, in the 90s than it is now. Um, conservatives now don't really care about, for instance, pushing religious values in other people. So in the, honestly, like in the 80s or 90s, I probably would have been a liberal. You know, they're censoring things on TV and censoring things you can say, what you can wear, and things like that. So I think I would have been a little bit more liberal back then. Um, so I do think that it depends what you're asking them what conservatism is. I think if you went and you asked what libertarianism is, I think you would have had a lot more of the young people saying they're libertarian. Um, but you have to remember, I have hope for Gen Z because Gen Z is probably the bigger, biggest consumer of YouTube. And YouTube is a very right-wing place. So I do have hope for them. My little brother, he, okay, this is a funny story. My little brother did, doesn't really care where I'm working or anything. He had no idea. Um, and I tell him, like, oh, I'm going to LA to work for an outlet. I didn't think he, he knew what the Daily Wire was or who Ben was. And one day he was watching Ben's show. Mind you, I'm already working at the Daily Wire in LA. And Ben says my name on the show. And my brother texts me, he goes, hey, why did Ben Shapiro just say your name? And I'm like, <laughs> hey, how do you know who Ben Shapiro is? So I do think that the young people are consuming these outlets and um, hopefully that it doesn't turn into a socialist generation. Yeah, that's true. And I think that's something that has been exciting. A lot of people have been consuming that type of media. Uh, I have a similar story with my brother. One day I was, uh, I, I got home from college and I walked into his room and said, hey, what are you doing? He said, I'm watching Steven Crowder. I said, really? You know who that is? He's like, yeah, I watch him all the time. I was like, oh, that's really neat. And even my dad now, he came up to me a while back, and even one of his friends in high school, he asked me, they're like, do you know who this Ben Shapiro guy is? I'm like, yeah, I know who he is. 
why he's awesome. Well, I actually wrote about this story kind of, I, I wrote an article like a month ago and Fox News ended up having me on talking about it and it was, I dated a Democrat. And when yeah, I dated a Democrat, one. yeah, Tom. And when I met Tom, I met his family eventually and his family didn't seem political at all, at all but his, his dad is now a huge fan of the Daily Wire. And yeah. I thought that was really funny because he grew up as a Democrat and so did his family. So maybe they're converting the older generations too. Yeah, hopefully. That's uh, definitely something exciting. But that uh, going back to that study, I thought it was surprising too to see that because I had always been told that the Gen Z was going to be the most conservative generation. Now, I always met that with a degree of skepticism because for one, the, the studies weren't that big. The, I think the original study actually came from the UK from a, a class and people were asking them conservative questions. They were answering it. But I it was just kind of a, a class wasn't that many people. I didn't think it was that representative. So I always warn people of taking that for granted, and that's something I am scared that did happen because people did take it for granted a little bit, that Gen Z is more conservative than any other generation. Because uh, it, it, what it looks like is that they're not. And if you go to a college campus, most Gen Zs are in college campuses now, and you can tell that they're pretty on the left, uh, pretty far left sometimes. But one thing that's interesting is if you actually look at the CNN exit polls from 2016, a lot of states... Uh, if you break it down by age, a lot of them went red for, I think, 18 to 21-year-olds, which uh, I, th I thought was r really interesting. Did you ever see anything about that? Or you see anything like that? No, I didn't. But one thing I do want to add into there is I think a lot of it might be that Generation Z, which honestly, I'm not sure if I'm part of Generation Z. I read Pew Research cuts it off at 96. Some don't. I was born in 96. I don't know if I'm a millennial or Generation Z at this point. But I think a lot of it is they're more politically active than any other generation. And I say this because if you would have went to a college campus in the 90s or the early 2000s and you're talking to people about politics or talking to people about what they, they care about, people are going to say partying, hanging out with friends, yeah, yeah. being part of my fraternity or my sorority. That's not really the case anymore. Like, yes, most college students don't care about politics, but I think there is an increase in political activism in college. And I think a lot of them just go with whatever everyone else is going with, and that's why they go with the left. Yeah, it's, I certainly agree, and that's something I see a lot at U of H, the college I go to. Pretty much every, every day, if it's a day ending and why, there's going to be some political event going on on campus. I think uh, we have apartheid week coming up, and so we're going to have... Oh, that's my favorite one. Yeah, uh, we're going to have SJP, and uh, we're, we're bringing some, uh, is, uh, some IDF soldiers out there to come help us. So uh, that'll be really interesting. But I, I agree, that's something I've noticed too, that the Generation Z is really active in politics and, and by the way I, I will uh, as a generation z myself i was born in 1998 i will allow you to be part of generation z because the i don't know if i want to be part of generation z y'all are the ones who are eating like tide pods and stuff. well he, here's why i usually tell people about that the millennials never found a way to weed out their weird people and their bad people like gen z has they eat tide pods that's how we know that they're the others now so we found a way <laughs> y'all didn't yeah by the way, am I allowed to say y'all? You're from Texas. Am I yes. allowed to appropriate your culture as somebody from Massachusetts? Of course. I 100% I believe that one day Texas will, will rule the world. So. No, no, no. Texas needs a Texit break off. Everyone will go there. It will be a great place. It would be a great place, but imagine if Texas just was everything. I mean, that'd be great, too. I mean, we all it, would, have food. I, it would be the end of world history. It would, it, it just, everything would be perfect. <laughs> um, but anyways, so yeah, Generation Z... Uh, I, I pretty much agree with your assessment that it is the most political generation and that it does look like it's kind of on the left, but it's certainly not on the left as the millennial generation. Now, the other question I want to get to is we, we see these new rising 
fresh faces in the Democratic Party, as Ben Shapiro says, so fresh, so face. Uh, we see Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, and of course the famous AOC. Do you think that these people are going to have an effect on Generation Z? Because what I see is that AOC, even though she is not a smart person and she consistently says dumb things, she is very good at Twitter. And even when I see her tweets, I'm I'm like, like oh, it's a light. Wait, wait, no, that's stupid. So, so, so it's, she's really good at Twitter. Do, do you think her presence on social media will affect Gen Zers in moving to a socialist direction because she speaks ignorance with such conviction and confidence? Yeah, I think one thing we can say about AOC that we can't say about a lot of other Democrats is that she actually believes what she's saying. She is a very authentic, genuine person in my mind. Like, I really think she believes what she says. I think Bernie Sanders does too, but I think there's some others out there who just say what's politically convenient, like a Klobuchar yeah. or Cory, uh, what's Cory? Spartacus. Spartacus. There you go. Mm -hmm. uh, they actually don't really believe what they say. They're looking at poll numbers and going off of that. So I do commend AOC for that, but she's actually has very dangerous views because she's trying to normalize socialism by so what they do. This is what they do when they talk about socialism. They say socialism is great. It's never been tried before. And then they redefine socialism and they're like, oh, it's a great thing. We're going to redefine it as something else. So they're Right, they, they, they just keep lowering they, the bar. They try to make it as murky as they can, so somebody who is skeptical doesn't really understand it. Um, right. So I'm like, I don't know if that's an okay thing. They make it as complicated as they can, so somebody's like, oh, okay, okay sounds fine. Um, so I do think that they're very dangerous. I think those three, we keep lumping them in together, but they all have their different dangerous aspects. I do think AOC is really good at Twitter, um, which kind of frightens me because I honestly I thought Twitter was going to die once the Trump presidency was over I felt like Trump was keeping Twitter alive but now it looks like AOC is now the new uh ruler of Twitter um the ruler of Democrats man <laughs> that's my favorite part about all of this is that AOC a freshman congresswoman former bartender from New York is now in control of the Democratic Party and that's wild that's completely right. crazy Nancy Pelosi has no control anymore but I've been told that the U.S. is a very bad place for a minority woman and that we oppress them and there's no way for them to rise up. And that's what I was told by AOC. Uh, yeah, that's what she's saying. But I think this is what I really want. I want AOC to be like Justice Ginsburg and I want Dan Crenshaw to be like Scalia and I want them to become friends. Like think about how awesome this would be if them two became friends and she stopped demonizing Republicans. She can go put out socialist views like Bernie does. Bernie will go on a stage and debate Ted Cruz. She yeah. will not... It, what is it called cat calling if you ask her to debate mm -hmm. i just want her to have some republican friends so she stops acting like they're the enemy that's not the case we should be trying to get along you can see your socials and that's fine somebody can shut it down but that doesn't mean they're actually attacking you as a person she makes it very personal right and i think there's a broader point to hear that many i think most republicans know someone on the left know a democrat but there's a lot of democrats people on the left who don't know a conservative and i think aoc is one of those people i mean where she grew up in the bronx uh, majority minority district I, I I have never been in New York, so I'm not gonna. I don't want to presume yeah, that much. You don't want to. Yeah, I, I I've been told, <laughs> but uh, I the, the way she demonizes conservatives in such a way it shows that she doesn't just have an understanding of uh, any really any sort of understanding of conservative values, but that she really thinks that conservatives are just really awful people who just want to destroy her and the Democrats and people of color. And she's and that's why I think think she won't d debate any conservatives because she doesn't think there's a debate to be had because they're so evil. Why would you debate that? And that's what scares me about Gen Z. If they go along with that, then the country is going to get a much worse place.
I just can't wait until we have a Nikki Haley presidency and everything she said about Democrats hate, or Republicans hate women and, and hate people of color. I just can't wait to the first person who's president as a woman and a person of color is going to be Nikki Haley and as a Republican. So I, I just can't wait for that. That's going to like shove it in all of the Democrats' face to use identity politics and pretend that Republicans hate minorities because it's just not true. And then to take a step even further, I think we should tell Dan Crenshaw to run his VP under Nikki Haley have a Haley Crenshaw presidency. Yeah, I, th- I could see that happening. I could I could definitely see that happening. Yeah, I would be all for that ticket. That'd be a great ticket. Yeah, that, that'd be wonderful. And then maybe, since they're actually good at spouting conservative values and they're likable, maybe even Dan Crenshaw has a good Twitter presence. Perhaps they could help change Gen Z in that way. Uh, but going back to the socialism stuff, one thing you said about how so- socialists keep moving the bar for what is socialism and they keep murking it up and and uh, watering it down. Well, one thing we actually see, what I think is pretty amazing, is you know now they say Denmark, Norway, Sweden, these are our socialist countries, even though they're capitalist countries with the socialist distribution. With a lower corporate tax rate than us. Amazingly. And, but here's how we, I think here's how we know they don't actually mean that, is we ask them, do you condemn Maduro? Should Nicolas Maduro go? Should Juan Guaido become president of Venezuela? They all say no. They all want to, all want to keep Maduro in. What that tells me, and I wish that uh, Gen Z's would see is that they actually do believe that Venezuela is a socialism that they want, whereas Norway and Denmark are countries that aren't actually socialist, but they're going to use that as a prop so they can actually implement Venezuela. Do, do, do you believe that, or is that what you see going no, on? No, I think their problem with Venezuela is they don't want it to be, uh, they don't want us telling them what to do. So their whole colonialism thing, that's what the issue is here, but it's not us telling them what to do. It's a Venezuelan who has legitimacy, legitimacy who is pulling this claim. Right. Um, so I think they're just going against the president. I think if Obama was doing it, they'd be fine with it. This is just politics right here, and it's quite frankly ridiculous for them right. to even go off this path. Because what's going on in Venezuela is horrible, and not enough people yeah. are talking about it. And I'm, I'm criticizing the, the right-wing media, too. Instead of going off of every stupid thing AOC says, we should be talking about what's going on in Venezuela because it's really crazy, and it's really sad. Yeah, certainly. I actually have uh, family from Venezuela, and it's really sad. Most of them live in the U.S. now, and they, they won't admit it, but there's no way they're going back to Venezuela because of Maduro. And uh, I, I think I've seen Marco Rubio, who's been down there for a while. I think Barbara's trying to get into the frame. <laughs> Barbara! <laughs> Barbara! She's, she's recovering from her... Oh, what's wrong, baby? She's just recovering. She's fine. Don't worry about her. <laughs> uh, by the way, off topic real quick. You know, Barbara's a great dog, but I have to say, I think uh, uh, Yoko from Neon Taster. Oh. I, that's my that's my. Spirit. I thought you were about to go off about uh, Kyle Cashew. Me and Kyle Cashew have this huge freaking rivalry going with our dogs. Yeah, I've seen that one, too. Mindset. I'm sorry, no dog is cuter than Barbara. She has bright green eyes. We actually have the same eye color, which people are like, why do you look like your dog? <laughs> um, and she's just really soft, and she's sweet, and she's a beagle, and she doesn't bark. She just relaxes, and she's just she's a good girl. But right now, she's a little in pain because I mean, of her surgery. I'm a blue healer guy myself. I'm not never really been a fan of small dogs. But uh, you know what? Barbara, conservative animal, I'll... I'll make room for her. She's, in, she's, like she's not named after Barbara Bush. Everyone thinks that. I really just wanted to give her like an old lady name. So when I yell at her, people laugh. And I, don't know, I thought Barbara was kind of cute. And so like I'm at the dog park. And I'm like, Barbara, come here. And everyone's like looking around, like thinking I'm yelling at my grandma or something. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of part of the crowd. I was like, Barbara, is that for a dog? Okay. 
it works. I call her Barb's or Barbie or Barb. There you go. It, I mean, if it works, it works. I can't argue with it. I'm calling plays, I'm a coach. I get that bread by the loaf. I chop the head off a goat. TAC all in the smoke. You ain't pure, you cut dope. Watch me fly by in a telescope. Blue honchos in the envelope. Tell him meet me at the rendezvous. Power up like I'm Majin Buu. Deja vu, deja vu. Draco in my trench coat. She wanna hang with a pro. And this is more recent. I just thought about talk about this yesterday. Was now we have the Democratic Party. It looks like they're completely embracing anti-Semitism because of Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib. Now, yeah, like I said earlier, we have apartheid week coming up soon. Do you think that this embracement of anti-Semitism is going to make it even harder for uh, Jewish people not uh, to live in America? And not just that. Do you think it's also going to turn Gen Zers and even, maybe even some younger millennials? And may, a more anti-Semitic and against Jews are going to think that's all right because they don't rank high enough on the intersectional scale? Well, I think there's a few different factors going on here. First, Protestants have always been very pro-Israel. And not because of the reasons that the Young Turks guy is saying. Sank mm -hmm. said something that Christians are pro-Israel because they want all the Jews to gather so the end times come. That's ridiculous. Yeah. That is absurd. Christians like Israel because they keep their holy sites protected and because Israel has similar values to America. I mean, that's I, I don't put much value on what a guy uh, who named his company after the, the people created the Armenian genocide say. So. Exactly. So that's the first factor there, that Protestants are becoming less pro-Israel, and that's because, not because they're anti-Israel, but because they're just politically apathetic and they don't get it anymore. Um, so that's why there's more trips bringing them to Israel, bringing them back to their roots. I've been to Israel several times. Um, and I've been to all the Christian holy sites and all the Jewish holy sites, and right. Israel's just a really great place. I'm trying to go back this summer. I might be going on two trips this summer. I'm actually going my um, first time this summer. Oh, really? With with who? With APEC. Oh, that's awesome. You're going on the campus, uh, half Democrats, half college Republicans? I, I, I think so. I, I still don't have all the information about it yet, but... It's like the Milstein I, Foundation or something? Well, I, I'm doing it with Houston Hillel. Oh, cool, oh. cool. So, I know which one you're going on. Yeah, so I went with APAC my first time as well. You're going to have a great time. You're going to love it. Um, but so, fun. yeah, it's going to be really, really fun. Make sure you don't shave your face before going to the Dead Sea. Everyone forgets that, and it hurts. So men don't, don't shave your face. face. Women don't shave your legs. It hurts. All right. Um, <laughs> That'd be good to know. <laughs> so I think what's going on here is, first of all, I don't think that their comments they said make them anti-Israel or anti-Semitic. Or anti I think their beliefs make them anti-Semitic. It's not just these comments where I'm like, oh my God, you said this, you're anti-Semitic. I genuinely believe that they're anti-Israel and anti-Jewish. I think that they hold, this is, this is what people don't get. You can criticize Israel not being anti-Semitic. That's fine. 
but when you hold Israel to a different standard than you do every single other country in the world, then you're being anti-Semitic. There's no reason why the Jewish state should be held to different values than every single other state. Why do I not? Well, Talib, I will give Omar credit because she does go after Saudi Arabia, but why aren't you going after Iran? Why aren't you going after Venezuela? Why aren't you going after these other countries? Why are you holding Israel to a different standard when Israel holds itself to a higher standard and treats people better in time of war? Like Israel goes out of its way to stop casualties. Yeah, it's the, the only way that the U.S. won't even do. It's also the only country in the world, world that consistently lets rockets be fired into it exactly. and, and doesn't just wipe out the country doing it, which I think is a pretty amazing thing. Uh, but what scares me is that with it, it's happened to the Labor Party already in Great Britain. They've, they've normalized anti-Semitism, and now I see it happening in the Democratic Party because they're so beholden to their radical base. And do, do you think that might affect Gen Z and them becoming more anti-Semitic because they're going to see, hey, they don't rank that high on the intersectional scale. They're just like white Christian men. We can dump on them all we want. So I, I want to throw out there that uh, hate crimes happen most often to Jews, and the, the Democrats don't like to acknowledge this. And if they do acknowledge it, they blame it on the right, which is not true. It's not the right's fault. Yes, there are obviously atrocities coming from the right, but also comes from the left. Um, but I, what I think right now is I don't think the Democratic Party is going to become anti-Israel yet. Um, I say this because they're still going to APAC conferences, they're still speaking for pro-Israel, within the next 10 to 15 years, it is. It's going to become a partisan issue. It's no longer going to be the Democratic Party with the Republican Party. That's the one issue they come together on. In 10 to 15 years, it's, they're going to be anti-Israel. And they're going to be anti-Israel because Israel is having elections right now, and it looks like they're going to stay right-wing. Israel was a very socialist country until the Likud came into power, then it went very right-wing, and it hasn't really gone left-wing since. Mm -hmm. um, and going forward, it looks like it only has a chance to go more right-wing. There's been different parties breaking up. A lot of Americans don't understand Israeli politics, so basically it's a parliamentary system, and there's a lot of parties there who are breaking off the Likud party and becoming more right-wing. And when they become more right-wing, this means more settlements, this means less being tolerant of the PA, this means less negotiations with the PA. So I do think that they're going to become more right-wing, and I think they should. Um, but this is going to anger a lot of Democrats, and they are going to become anti-Israel in the next 10 to 15 years, for sure. Yeah, I can certainly see that happening. And that, the other question I want to ask you about that is, in the Labor Party, we've seen a lot of um, Labor MPs actually uh, leave, leave, pretty much leave the party because of the anti-Semitism. Now, I think that that is probably not going to happen in the Democratic Party because in Great Britain, it's a parliamentary system. They have several different parties they can go to, whereas in the U.S., you only have Democrat or Republican. But do you think there's any chance of uh, Democrats breaking up, even though the U.S. is a two-party system, it's not really anywhere for them to go to? No, I don't think Israel would be the issue that they, why they would break up. I think that uh, in America, we're not single-party or single-issue voters, so we don't have the opportunity to go to a different party. But I do think there'll be different factions and caucuses within Congress that are going to be against this. I think they just started the uh, Democratic Majority for Israel or, or something like this. Mm -hmm. They have some nonprofit that just started that condemned Omar. Actually... They, they put out this really trolly statement, which made me laugh. It was about um, Rashida Tlaib. Uh, her campaign website is made by a company called Wix, yeah. which is an Israeli company, um, when she's like pro-BDS. So they're making a joke. They're like, oh, we're just so happy, Congress. You broke your boycott of Israel. You actually wrote an article about that, I think, didn't you? Yeah, I wrote about that. Yeah. That was really, that one cracked me up. Um, yeah, that was hilarious. I've been to the West Bank a lot. Um, and I went to this one Halva factory. Halva is like 
kind of like candy made out of tahini. Uh, you guys probably don't know what I'm talking about, but it's like this Israeli Arab candy thing, and they make it in this one industrial district in the West Bank, and they employ Palestinians and Jews next to each other working together, and a lot of Russian Jews too, which right. came to Israel in the, uh, the 90s in the migration, when the Soviet Union fell. Um, when the Soviet Union fell. Yes, and I, I was about <laughs> to bring up that shirt in our next topic. It is an amazing shirt. Yeah, but what I want to point out is BDS really hurts Palestinians because when they're working for Israeli companies, they're making significantly more than they would in the West Bank, especially when the West Bank has a very high unemployment rate and Gaza is even crazier. I've read some things recently that SodaStream might be going into Gaza, but Gaza's unemployment rate is like 30 to 40%. It's insanely bad. Um, and these, these Democrats don't realize that the average Israeli wants peace. They don't want this. They want peace. They, their heart breaks with people of Gaza. But when you have a terrorist regime running Gaza, how are you supposed to make peace? Can't. Yeah, and especially whenever the Palestinians actually elected Gaza, and I think 2000, I mean, elected Hamas in 2006 in the Gaza Strip. And they still haven't had elections since, and you want to go and support those people that won't even let exactly. their own people vote? That's crazy. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, but the, the next thing I want to talk about is I want to get into solutions because at Liberty Talks, what we like to do is at the end of all our conversations, we usually in some way like to talk about solutions because it, it's easy to just scream at something and say that's not how it should be. It's much harder to propose solutions, especially if you're in Congress. <laughs> if you want me to solve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, that's never going to happen. <laughs> oh, no, I, 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 don't, I don't think that. I've been against the uh, two-state solution for a while because I don't, because I don't even think the Palestinians want a two-state solution. Nope. Uh, Nobody yeah, going to solutions now, how can we convince Gen Z and maybe some younger millennials to move to the conservatives? Well, one thing I talk about is I usually say we spend way too much time on the pragmatic uh, economic ideas, whereas we should be talking about the moral ideas, morality, why, how, why, why it's moral to be a conservative and moral to be a socialist. What do you think? Well, I think that we need to reach out to these people in, in ways where they would be paying attention. So like I said, a lot of them aren't really politically involved, but when you have like PewDiePie out there having Ben Shapiro on a show, or when you have all these different podcasts, I think it's, I think it works. Um, the problem right now is tech shutting down conservatives. So that's making it a lot harder. But I think when you stay engaged in college and when you have these different ways of out reaching out to Gen Z, I think that's a solution. So for instance, at Lone Conservative, we started this new thing recently about maybe about a year ago, where we take in high school students and, and teach them how to write and let them be part of Lone Conservative. And then we pair them up with one of our college writers and they have a mentor. So that's really worked because a lot of times these people might be thinking they're conservative, but they grew up in a conservative household. They go to, for instance, where I went to school, Mount Holyoke, and they come back with their hair chopped off, screaming socialism and screw the patriarchy. That happens in college because people feel edgy in college and they want to have fun. And let me tell you, left wing Protests are really fun, okay? I've been to them. They're really fun. Like, I went to one yeah. in D.C., and they had boom boxes. They had a blow-up elephant. They had holograms going on a, um, a building. They had drums. You know, it was a lot of fun. It's something fun to do in college. So we just need to let them know that, yeah, uh, it might be fun, but are you actually doing the right thing? You should probably get involved with your college Republicans. Yeah. Honestly, the whole, the whole thing is just outreach. And then the other problem is conservatives are kind of boring. Sorry, we are. We want to talk about policy instead of talking about uh, how conservatism can make your life better or, you know, some of us just need to let loose and have some fun. Mm -hmm. um, and so you need to outreach these people without coming off like that stiff, here's my book, let's just talk about, 
let's just talk about policy all day long. Like, no, we need to have some fun and just be normal yeah. people. So that's what I try doing on my Twitter. I'm not just like this political animal on my Twitter, just acting like all I care about is politics. My whole life's about politics. I'll tweet about other things because you right. can be conservative and be a commentator and also be a normal person. And we need to let them know that, yes, you can be a normal person. Yeah, yeah I, I'm not that really good at Twitter. Uh, usually I tweet about po politics. Lately, though, I haven't tweeted that much about politics except breaking news stuff, but I, I have started getting more into a lot of cultural stuff. I try and have some fun. Twitter's fun. Yeah. and uh, I mean, It's getting a little less fun recently because uh, I think people are just getting more trolly on it, yeah. honestly, and Twitter keeps banning people for saying the stupidest things. Like, for instance, like, learn to code, you can get banned for saying that, but this one left-wing person tweeted at one of my contributors who's black and called him the N-word, and it's still up. We've reported them. They said that, yes, we found an issue. Never made them take down the tweet, but saying the N-word. But that's, someone who says crazy. learn to code mm -hmm. it's, gets banned. It's ridiculous. Yeah, because learn to code hurts the feelings of the leftists. And, and Jack Dorsey, that's who he cares about. He, he doesn't really care about conservatives, and that's a sad thing. And I, I think it's really telling when he says that he believes in free speech, but at the same time, he believes that he needs to crack down on people so he can create a better, more inclusive environment. I think it shows where his values really lies. That's what's pretty scary. And well, what's also scary is that you said that what's good about YouTube and Twitter and all these things is there are huge platforms for conservatives, but they keep getting banned now and shut down by YouTube Demonetized. and Facebook. Yeah, it's, exactly. not, it's not cheap to make YouTube videos. It's not like people have quit their jobs and do it all day long. You need to edit, you need to produce, you need to, if you're a girl, you gotta do your hair and makeup, get to write your script, like all of these different things. It's not cheap. So people literally quit their jobs, did this for making great money, and then got demonetized. It's, it's terrible. Yeah, it's, it's really sad, especially when it, it hurts so many good causes, too. Like, I, was a, I wrote an article for Emily and Nathan Burning at LetThemLive.com about one of their posts. Uh, it was about a young a fetus that was basically born, and it, it died eventually, but it was born really, really young. I can't remember the entire story. But they paid, uh, I think, like $20 to have it boosted, and Twitter just completely uh, shut it down because they didn't like the message. And it, it was really sad because they paid money to have it boosted. And even after they paid money, Twitter was like, nope, not not." Well, it's because if you watch Jack Dorsey's interview with Joe Rogan, both of them, the first one and the second one, which just happened last week, he doesn't just think that he's controlling Twitter. He honestly thinks he's changing the world, which, yeah, he might be. Um, and he thinks it's upon himself to make people discuss things better. And so he's, he's doing word pleasing. He might act like he cares about free speech, but no, if you really listen to what he's saying, he thinks that he's like this arbiter for like civil discussion within the world, not just in the Twitter context. And by doing this, he thinks that he has control over how people say things and he's just, he's just trying to control the message and it's just not right. Yeah, it's really sad, especially when these tech giants that hear, uh, like Jack Dorsey, think they're the thought police and believe that their views aren't just correct, but the most moral views. Therefore, they have a duty to shut down views they consider immoral, which is usually just mainstream conservative views. And while that's happening, it, I believe it's going to get worse before it gets better. I, I think eventually they're going to go too far and they're going to get deemed as a publisher and that's going to stop them from doing all of this. But until then, I think it's going to get a lot worse. And until that point comes, how do you think conservatives can better reach the young generation whenever they're getting banned and shadow banned and censored on all these social media platforms? Well, I think the problem is also 
like it's it's some of our fault too. So when conservatives are trying to say something out there, sometimes we'll pick the more edgy way to say things because we know it's going to get attention. And when you are really edgy, there's a good chance you're going to get banned. Right. Um, so you just need to make sure you're communicating things in a way where if you get banned, it's it completely falls on Twitter. Like for instance, when um, Jesse Kelly got banned, um, yeah. and it was ridiculous, and everyone was on his side because what he said was not crazy at all, and he should not have been banned. So you need to make sure you're not giving them even an inch to have some type of reason to actually justify it. But the problem is we do have blue checkmark privilege. So if I got banned, it'd be a big deal. But for instance, if right. you got banned, it's not. So I know a lot of smaller accounts who have been completely wiped off the platform. They can't even make a new account because it's tracking their, their IP address or whatever. Um, and because I have the blue checkmark privilege, it, they look and review my things more. So like I have said, learn to code. But not, so right. for instance, they're banning people for saying learn to code, not in a context at somebody. Somebody would tweet something like, you can get banned for saying learn to code, and then that person would get suspended. But if I tweeted it, they would have to look at it a little bit harder because I have a blue check mark. And that's right. crazy. They should be looking at everybody the same. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree. And this is why people like Louis Farrakhan are still up because, one, they exactly. do have a blue check mark. And since they're on the left, they also have leftist privilege. Yeah, this is true. But for instance, for when you want to reach out to them, I think, for instance, you really need to, uh, like, say, say you were talking to somebody about socialism, okay? You should talk about them in socialism in a really rational manner. Like, they banned Austin Peterson because he said, he, he posted a GIF from Twitter saying off to the gulags, okay? Edgy, very edgy, but also Twitter's own GIF, and they banned him for that. So maybe he should have, I mean, he shouldn't have to do this, but if you want to make sure you're not going to get banned, maybe you should be more diplomatic in what you tweet which sucks because you want to just tweet whatever you want but right. we are in a situation where you can't you have to watch out for yourself because getting off the platform is a bad thing like we yes we don't want to give twitter what they want but we don't want to get off the platform because once you do you can't reach people anymore mm -hmm. yeah and that's the sad thing about it and so hopefully well, uh, what we can do as conservatives, we can start finding new ways to reach out to other people. I, what I hope is that someone who actually does have conservative values, maybe not even conservative values, but just American values, creates a tech company and is able to outcompete all of these, which I think they would be because they want to be censoring people and now drive. What's the problem? This has been tried and it's not effective. Like right. Gab started. Gab is not a place I'd want to be. Mm -hmm. um, and then there was something called Trump Town that started for a while. That's too focused on Trump. It's not. Yeah. Somewhere. And I, I agree. That's the problems I've seen with them, too. They, they need to not make it tailored to conservatives. They need to make it tailored to everyone and actually treat it like how these tech giants treated their companies when they first started out. Just because these people are big doesn't mean that they can't be overcome. But It's all the branding. Because when you brand yeah, exactly. it, oh, this is a platform for free speech, and people are going to come and say stupid things just to test your free speech. Right. Um, I think they just need, need a tech company out there that's willing to hire the manpower to go and actually review things. Because I do think that there's things that should get you banned. I absolutely do. Right. I think when you're tweeting Jews in ovens at me, which happens quite a bit when the alt-right acts like idiots, um, you should get banned for that. I really do. I do think you should get banned for that. But when you're tweeting, learn to code, are you kidding me? That's crazy. Yeah, and these people need to grow a spine. But anyways, Cassie Dillon, thanks so much for coming on. I'll give you the last word. Uh, well, I want you guys all to check out Lone Conservative. It is a publication for college students. Uh, so if you're a college student, you're a writer, maybe even a high school student, we're willing to have you teach you how to write and help you get out into the media because it's not always easy. So you can check it out at loneconservative.com and you can follow me at Twitter at Cassie Dillon. I like a, I like a rebel chick and she hella
atmosphere. She an activist, anti-establishment. Got a rocker look. Make a blue collar empty his pocketbook. He in love with the thrill. But she don't love him, she in love with the world. Sexy tattoos on the back of the girl. Yeah, she is single, but don't wanna mingle. You give her your number, she give middle finger. Like, yeah. Tell me where have you been all in my life? You a libertarian, is that right? I don't wanna talk about no politics. Cool it, you sugar, let me and you mix. Get together. I treat you right, but not like Cinderella. You a sexy, independent intellectual. I hope you're unmentionable. Edible, incredible. I live against the grain, so that's the time.